Well, what a blessing it is to be in the house of the Lord. <clears throat> I'd rather be in the house of the Lord than the best jail in town. <clears throat> um, several weeks ago, I think Brother Baker was teaching our adult Bible class. And one of the things he warned us about that I remember tonight is about this glass of water. He said, if you drink out of that, you could go bald. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not going to drink out of that. I'll just pass that by. I'm trying to keep what I've got. And uh, <clears throat> I've threatened to buy him a wig while I've been on one of my foreign journeys where I could buy it cheap <laughs> and bring it back. But uh, I don't know if that would work or not. Those of you who may not know us because you have come into our church in the last year since I've preached here, let's give you a little bit of background. We, For 36 years, I was pastoring churches in my own country, America. We were able to start three New Testament churches from the ground up. And then as, the, as I pastored in Detroit, Michigan, we reached over 1,500 there. And I began to feel that I ought to visit the missionaries that our church supported and see what I could do to help them in their work in their country of service. And so I began to go a couple times a year and uh, I would say, whatever you want me to do, just tell me and I will be glad to do it. Oh, they said, preacher, we'd like you to have a, a seminar for our preacher boys that we're training. And so I began to teach uh, seminars. And then they said, we'd like you to preach youth camps. So I began to preach youth camps for them. And they said, well, we'd like you to preach some messages to our churches on the family, on revival, on prophecy, various subjects like that. And so I began to do that. I didn't know what that was going to develop into. But what I was doing without realizing it is I was doing the same kind of missionary work that the Apostle Paul was doing he was the premier missionary of the New Testament. He didn't go to one country and stay there. He went to many countries and he did the same three things everywhere he went. He preached the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to introduce sinners to Jesus. And then he established and helped build New Testament churches everywhere he went, and then he'd go back to those same areas and see how those baby churches were doing. And then the third thing he did was start training people in those countries to serve God in their own country among their own people. And so all of a sudden, my missionaries that we were supporting out of our church that I was visiting began to tell other missionaries what I was coming to their country to do. 
And all of a sudden, I began to get all kinds of invitations from around the world to come and do the same thing that Paul the Apostle did when he was in foreign mission work. And it became obvious that I could not do that and still pastor a church and run a youth camp, which we were doing. And so I felt that God would have me go into this work full time. I've been doing it now for 34 years. I've been in the ministry for 71 years. That's really a miracle when you're only 39. It, uh, it's the way it goes. Just God still does miracles. And uh, so we've been doing that work now in 71 different countries. And we've uh, taught in seminars over the last 34 years, some 45,000 young men and young women who are Bible college students studying for the ministry key church workers that they want to come to our classes. And that's what I've been doing out of this church for the last 30 years. So we are missionaries like the Apostle Paul was. He did not stay in one place, but he worked with the missionaries who did stay in one place. In fact, he had missionaries come there so that he could leave and go some other place. That's what we've been doing. We just got back from Mexico. We go to eight to 10 countries a year. And uh, we had a wonderful time in Mexico, Sunday through Sunday. And all during the week, we had a family conference preaching on the home. We saw some wonderful results at the altar. We would see 50 or more at the altar every night in that family conference. And we saw families gather at the altar in a circle, getting their homes and their families straightened out with God. It was a wonderful thing. Then on the two Sundays I preached, we had the privilege of seeing 15 people receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, which we praise God for. Now we're going to invade Chile and Argentina and uh, Argentina is the country where Lucy and her first husband served God as missionaries for over 50 years. So I'm taking her, in a sense, back home to the country that she served for so long in. And she does very well. She speaks Spanish excellently. I don't even, I can't hardly understand Spanish. In fact, when she don't want me to know what she's saying, she talks in Spanish, which is a lot of times. <laughs> I have no idea what she's saying. I tell people in Spanish that I know survival words, papas fritas and hamburguesas. That'll keep me going. Hamburgers and french fries for those of you who don't know Spanish. So that's kind of what we do, and we're so thankful. Brother Sam invited us to come here years ago and do our ministry out of this church. And the people here have been such a blessing to us. I don't know how many people have said to me just in the last few days, knowing I was going to preach tonight, Brother Smith, we're praying for you. 
In fact, I had one man stop me in the lobby and stop and pray with me before the service began. You're not in a lot of churches like that, folks. I've been in a lot of churches and this is an exceptional church. You ought to thank God for it. And you ought to do everything you can to help it get God's work done according to God's will. All right, that kind of brings you up to date on where we are. And uh, if I've forgotten anything, it wasn't worth telling you about anyway. <laughs> now I'd like you to consider tonight the world in which we live, there's some very unusual things taking place right now that has to do with God's people, the nation of Israel. As you know, if you've been listening at all to any of the news, Israel was recently invaded viciously uh, and uh, many people were killed, some 14 or 1,500 people, we understand, were killed in Israel. And then Israel retaliated and over 4,500 of the enemy who attacked them have been killed. So they got their nose kind of bloody when they felt fooled with Israel. And uh, there is a definite reason why these things are going on in the Holy Land tonight. So I thought I would bring a message called Israel in Bible Prophecy and take you on a study of the Bible as to what the Bible says about Israel, how God has worked with Israel, and how he is going to continue working with Israel. This is the one thing I'll guarantee you from the Bible. Israel cannot be destroyed by any of its enemies, no matter how many of them gather against him. That is the promise of God. And tonight we have all kinds of comments being made about Israel from its neighbors, from various nations around the world. And most of those comments have been in a negative way against Israel. And I want to say this to you, if a nation wants the blessings of God, they better treat Israel right. Because God has promised to do good to those who do good to Israel and to do the opposite to those who touch Israel in the wrong way. So tonight I'm going to have you study with me just exactly what the Bible says about Israel in Bible prophecy. Doesn't matter what we think or what we say, but it does make a whole lot of difference what the Bible says. And in the book of Jeremiah, the prophet, I invite you to turn to chapter 30 of Jeremiah and we'll look at verse seven. Jeremiah, chapter 30 and verse seven. Alas, for that great, for that day is great, 
so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Now, Jacob is another word for Israel, often used that way in the Bible. And then I'd like you also, while you're standing, to go to the book of the prophecies of Daniel. And in Daniel's prophecies, chapter 12, I want you to notice what it says in verse 1. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. That's Israel. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered every one that shall be found written in the book. You may be seated. So here in these two prophetic passages of Scripture, Israel is referred to in both of them. And uh, <clears throat> there's three things that you need to remember about Israel and Bible prophecy. If you want to know about the end times and the coming of Christ and the nearness of the coming of Christ, keep your eyes on Israel. Very important. That's kind of the prophetic timepiece of God Almighty. He says here in this two passages of Scripture that there is going to come a time, and this is future, this is prophetic utterances that have not yet happened, but are going to happen in the future. And he calls it the time of Jacob's trouble or the trouble of the people of God, the nation of Israel. Now, there are two things that are happening that are going to happen. One has already begun to happen and the other one is yet to happen. First of all, in 1948, part of God's word began to be fulfilled concerning the nation of Israel. She became a nation for the first time since the days of Solomon. She had been scattered all over the world and she began to return to her land. Now she doesn't have all the land that has been promised to her. She only has a very small portion of it tonight. But she began to return to that portion that she now exists in, but she only returned to the land. Remember that. She did not return to the Lord. There is a time when Israel returned to the land in unbelief, but there's going to be a time when she will not only be in the land, but she will recognize Jesus the Christ as her true Messiah. I've had the privilege of making seven different trips to the lands of the Bible. And on one of my trips, I never will forget, I went down to the Wailing Wall. That's the part of the 
temple wall that's in existence today. It's divided so that women go on one side up to the wall and men go up to a, another part of the wall. And what they do is they pray there. And you have to put a little hat on to go down there. And you, they write their prayers on little pieces of paper and they fold them up and they stick them in the cracks of the wall. Well, I went down there and to see uh, what was going on. And all of a sudden I heard one of the men, I noticed he put a paper in one of the cracks and he began to pray and he prayed in English. Well, I couldn't understand what he was saying because I was too far away, but I could recognize that he was praying in English. So after he finished praying, I stepped up to him and I said, sir, I don't mean to disturb you, but I heard you praying in English and I wonder if I might ask you some questions. Oh, yes, he said, it'd be fine. I said, I noticed that you put some things on a little piece of paper and stuck them in the, in the wall in the crack. I said, what were you, I noticed other people praying too, what are you praying for here? Oh, he said, we pray for three things. We pray for the return of the Ark of the Covenant. We pray for the rebuilding of the temple. And we pray for the coming of Messiah. And I said to him, sir, yesterday I went to Bethlehem about six miles south of Jerusalem and I saw where Messiah was born. And then this morning I've been over to uh, Calvary's cross area and to the garden tomb and I saw where Messiah died for us and rose again. Oh, no, no, no. He got very violent. He said, no, 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 no. He said, we are, Messiah has never come. So that helped me understand that it is true that Israel, the Jewish people, are in the land today, but in unbelief. They have returned to the land, but they have not returned to the Lord. That is yet to come. So uh, it's interesting, therefore, since they have returned to the land to go back and see when it was that God gave them the land and what it amounted to, because you'll find out when you read that they only have a small portion of the original land grant given them by God. For instance, if you'll turn to the book of Genesis now, We'll kind of have a Bible study here tonight. I'd like to look at chapter 15 of Genesis. And in the 15th chapter, look at verse 18. In that same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Now, that Abram is Abraham later on. He said, unto thy seed... Have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the river, the river Euphrates? So here you see 
in this passage of Scripture that God made a covenant with Abraham and his seed or his descendants. Then look at chapter 17, beginning with verse 7. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generation. Now this is important for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all of the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Gaza, ladies and gentlemen, is a part of that royal original land grant from God. And the Bible gives us the boundaries here from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates. Boundaries are there. And this covenant is not a temporary situation. And nobody is going to take that land away from them because it is an everlasting possession. It's an everlasting covenant. So I got news for the United Nations. No use to talk about giving some of that land to somebody else. No use for some nations to gather and support somebody else in a war to get it. It is not going to happen because it's an everlasting covenant that God made and God don't lie. <laughs> so you see that the boundaries are given. You see that the land was given to Abram and his seed after him. And you see that it's an everlasting covenant and an everlasting possession. Now, today, they are in the land, but without peace. I remember when I was there, I went to the Valley of Megiddo and I stood high on a mountaintop and looked down over the Valley of Megiddo. And I remember as I stood there, fighter jets going over my head, one after another, constantly back and forth, back and forth, Israel patrolling its land. And uh, the man told us who was with us as our guide, well, Israel paid the French to build them some fighter jet planes they gave France the money and they took the money and refused to build the plane, the planes for Israel. This kept the money. So that didn't stop Israel. They just built a factory in the Valley of Megiddo and built their own fighter planes. That's what they're doing today. They have the equipment that they need. They have one of the most unique armies that exist on the face of the earth tonight. You see, even though they haven't returned to their Lord, their Lord has never forsaken them. 
because he has promised them that land eternally and he's there to see to it that that covenant is fulfilled. So uh, now the reason we have here from the prophecies of Ezekiel that Israel is in the land but not back to the Lord is because God brought Israel judgment because of her sin. And I want you to notice what it says in chapter 37 of the prophecies of Ezekiel. In, ver in chapter 37, verse 1 and 2. And the hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones and caused me to pass by them round about and behold, they were very many in the open valley and lo, they were very dry. You've probably heard the song, The Valley of Dry Bones, how that one is connected to another and all of that. That is a picture of Israel under the judgment of God, like a valley of dry bones. But there comes a time in prophecy when the bones begin to live again. They begin to come together. And flesh is applied to the bones. And Israel lives again. The reason Israel was put in this condition is because of their sin against Almighty God. If you go with me to Ezekiel now chapter 5, it's wonderful, a beautiful study here from the prophets. Chapter 5, I want you to listen as I begin reading in verse 1. And thou, son of man, take thee a sharp knife and take thee a barber's razor and cause it to pass upon thine head and upon thy beard. Then take three balances to weigh and divide the hair. So he's supposed to cut all his hair off. This is Ezekiel the prophet. And he's supposed to take all of his beard off. And he is to take this knife and divide his hair into three groups. All right? What's he doing? This is a prophecy as to what God is going to do to the nation of Israel because she violated and sinned against God. And this prophecy has already happened, folks. There are some prophecies that are near fulfillment and far fulfillment in the Bible. This is one of the near ones. Now listen, what's going to happen to this hair? Thou shalt burn with fire a third part in the midst of the city. That would be Jerusalem. So one third of the people are going to suffer the judgment of God by fire. Uh, when the days of the siege are fulfilled and thou shalt take a third part and smite it about with a knife. So he's supposed to do this in front of Israel. And that means that the knife or the sword, war, enemies moving in, 
and destroying a third of them. And a third part thou shalt scatter in the wind. That's why Jews are everywhere in the world tonight. <laughs> they were scattered all over the world. See? And I, I will draw out a sword after them. Even those who were scattered all over the world are going to suffer persecution. All you have to do is follow the history of the nation of Israel and every country they've settled in, every place they've gone, and they're still happening today in places like Russia and so forth. The sword is after them everywhere. So God allows these things to happen to Israel because of Israel's disobedience and sin against him. Now, there's one other thing in verse 3. And thou shalt also take thereof a few in number and bind them in thy skirts. So there's going to be a remnant left. That's what it means. The little bit of hair that put in the skirt is a typical illustration of a small portion of Israel that will be like a remnant saved from all these other problems that the three groups of hair are describing. So that's why today Israel is scattered all over the world. Can't go anywhere that a Jew is not there and he's not in business. Everywhere I've gone, all over the world. I've been in 71 countries. I've found Jews everywhere I've been. And they're selling their products. That's the way God partially judged Israel by scattering some of them all over the world. Now, what's beginning to happen is that from all over the world, Jews since 1948 are making their way back to the land, but all their enemy, all their surrounding nations hate them and are trying to do since they went back there to destroy them. Over and over these attacks have occurred, not just recently, but over and over since 1948. They have been under attack constantly. They are in a constant state of war ever since they went back to their land. And that's the way it's going to be until they return to their Lord. Not just returning to the land is going to get it done. They have to return to their Lord if they're going to have God's blessings back upon that nation. Now, what they're going to have to go through is what is called the time of Jacob's trouble. So they haven't seen anything yet. <laughs> the attack of Hamas on them from Gaza, you haven't seen anything yet. Wait till the time of Jacob's trouble comes. That is yet to come. It is trouble that will take place in the Middle East and it will be what is called a time of Jacob's trouble and that hasn't yet occurred. 
What's happening today is not classified as the time of Jacob's trouble. The time of Jacob's trouble will take place during the last three and a half years of the tribulation period. I want you to notice that at that time, all of the nations of the world are going to gather against Israel. Let me show you some prophecies from Ezekiel that point this out. Go to the 38th chapter of the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel and chapter 38. I want us to begin reading in verse 1. Ezekiel 38, verse 1. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against it. And say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and I will turn thee back and put hooks in thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth and all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. And he begins to name other countries like Persia and uh, Libya and Gomar, which is Germany, and so forth. This is when all these nations are going to gather against Israel while the tribulation period is going on. The first half of the tribulation period, the Antichrist makes peace with Israel and Israel relaxes and thinks it's wonderful and even believes that the Antichrist is the Messiah they've been looking for. But in the middle of that tribulation period, all of a sudden, things change. And the Antichrist and the nations of the world gather against the little nation of Israel. I want you to notice what it says in verse, in chapter 39 and verse 22. So the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day and forward. What's going to happen is that during the tribulation period, when they go into the time of Jacob's trouble, they're finally going to wake up. They're going to realize the Antichrist is not Messiah. They're going to realize that he's been lying to them because all the nations of the world are going to gather against Israel. And I've often wondered What's that mean for America? You know why America has been blessed so greatly as it has been since its inception? One reason, we have been the friend of Israel. 
And God said that if we would be a friend of Israel, he would be our friend. He would bless us. The day when we cease to be Israel's friend, we as a nation are in serious trouble. And I wonder when all the nations gather against Israel, if that includes the United States, how sad that would be. What a tragedy that would be. But the time of Jacob's trouble with all these nations gathering against him under the hand of the Antichrist will be what finally wakes up the nation of Israel to realize who their true Messiah really is. Jesus Christ is their true Messiah. And so the whole world will begin to gather against them. Look at the prophetic book of the New Testament, the book of the Revelation, and go to chapter 16 with me. And I want to begin reading in verse 13. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. There's the unholy trinity of the tribulation period. And they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to battle of that great day of God Almighty. This is when all these nations are going to come down on Israel. This is yet to come. This is part of the time of Jacob's trouble. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. So here you have the nations of the world gathering against Israel. And once that starts, it triggers action from God. And the Bible describes you and I, the saints of God who were taken out seven years earlier in the rapture, it describes us coming with the Lord out of heaven, riding upon white horses. Well, years ago when I read that we were going to ride on white horses, I bought me one, a white one. And I had it up at the camp and I rode it all the time. So I'm ready to go. Yeah. All I need is a good saddle and I've got a pair of boots at home. And I'm ready to go. I'm just waiting for the Lord to give me my white horse. We're going to ride with Jesus and we're going to make war on all the enemies of Israel. And so many will die in that battle that at the bridles of the horses, the blood will flow all through the nation of Israel. That's about four and a half to five feet deep, folks the average horse, the average bridle of a horse. So you see here that what Israel is going through right now is just a foretaste of what is coming to bring Israel to the place 
where she finally recognizes Christ as her Messiah. This is just the beginning. And so don't get concerned that Israel's going to be wiped off the face of the earth. God is not going to allow that. God is going to wipe all their enemies off the face of the earth when this Armageddon takes place. I want you to notice that this is going to be a time of peace. I'm not going to read all 10 verses of Zechariah chapter 14, but if you go there to Zechariah's prophecies, you'll find a description of the return of Jesus Christ in all his glory, in all of his power. And that doesn't speak of the rapture, that speaks of what we've been talking about, him coming back to defeat the enemies of Israel and establish his 1,000 year millennial reign of Christ upon the earth. And we're going to rule and reign with him. Did you know that folks? We're all gonna be rulers. I've already asked God for my part. I want Hawaii for my <laughs> place to rule and to reign. I don't know if he's gonna give me a thing or not, but I hope he does. That's where I wanna rule and reign. You can come over there and see me, but it's my place to rule and to reign in. <laughs> so in the Revelation chapter 16, I begin reading in verse 13 here. Well, verse 15, let's, let's finish that. Behold, I come as a thief, blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame, and he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew Armageddon. There's the battle of Armageddon where the enemies of God and the enemies of Israel shall be destroyed. Now in Zechariah chapter 14, <clears throat> it talks about the same event when Jesus comes back at the end of the tribulation period in what we call the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the Bible describes his feet touching the Mount of Olives. And when it touches the Mount of Olives, that mountain cleaves asunder, it divides. And a natural waterway from the Mediterranean Sea to the Gulf of Aqaba flows right by Jerusalem and Jerusalem becomes a seaport. <laughs> and when I was over in Israel, we were standing on the Mount of Olives and one of our guides said, they built a hotel up here. The Intercontinental Hotel was built on uh, the Mount of Olives, on top of the Mount of Olives. And before they built it, they had to do a lot of investigation as to what was underneath the ground and so forth. You know what they found? They found a major fault right under the Mount of Olives. That's God's fault. <laughs> it's all set up that when Jesus touches it, it divides. It's already set up. God's got the whole world set up to do exactly what he wants it to do. So peace will come to the Middle East 
but not by the hands of any who defends Israel now. Peace will only come to the Middle East when the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, touches the Mount of Olives. And then lasting, everlasting, permanent peace will come. That will be peace for the whole world and peace for Israel. Only when Israel comes to the place where they recognize Christ as their Messiah. You see, folks, it's always been that way that peace comes to mankind when he has a proper relationship with God. That's not only going to be true of the nation of Israel, but it's also true of all mankind even today. Every sinner on this earth tonight is without peace. He lives on this planet, but he is without the Lord. And because he is without the Lord, there is no peace. There is no real joy. There is fear of death. There is fear of eternity. There is fear of what lies beyond death, which is unknown to them. Yet there is a fear and no peace and no happiness. Why? Because their relationship with God is not proper. Jesus Christ is not their Savior. And without Christ as Savior, you're just in the same condition as Israel without Christ as their Messiah. Same problem exists. But when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, just as Israel will know peace when they receive Christ as their Messiah, so you will receive peace when you receive Christ as your Savior, both peace in your mind and peace in your heart that passeth all understanding. You can have that peace tonight. If you leave here, before you leave here, if you'll receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Just as Israel must receive Christ as Messiah to have peace. She'll never have peace with her neighbors. She'll never have peace with the nations of the world until she goes through this time of Jacob's trouble and finally wakes up to the fact that she crucified her Messiah and receives him as Messiah. And then he comes and brings her last, lasting and permanent peace. You don't have to go home tonight and lay down and be afraid that you'll die during the night. If you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, he'll give you peace. Your mind will have peace and your heart will have peace. So remember what's happening to Israel right now is just a foretaste of what she must go through to finally accept Christ as her Messiah. And 
Remember that what she's going through right now is not going to ever take her land away from her. That's an everlasting possession. And God keeps his word. He keep his word to the sinner tonight if you will come and receive him as your personal savior. Let's bow together in prayer.